Welcome to Medical Education Trends podcast series. Here we'll have discussions and interviews about hot topics in medical education. I'm your host, Mehrda Teravi, an Iranian medical doctor and a health professional education enthusiast. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Jezandi, and we are discussing his latest article entitled The Purpose, Design, and Promise of Medical Education Research Labs, published in Academic Medicine Journal. Let's see what happens. Okay, so thank you again, doctor, for joining us today. Uh, I appreciate if you can introduce yourself for our audience. Sure, it's uh, really an honor to be with you all. I'm Michael Gisandi. I am a um, emergency physician in the United States. I work at Stanford School of Medicine at Stanford University, where I serve as the Vice Chair of Education in the Department of Emergency Medicine. I'm also the principal of the Precision Education and Assessment Research Lab, uh, which trains a number of um, fellows and medical students in medical education research uh, methodology. Mm-hmm. So that's great. It is really our honor to have you on our show. So um, recently, I was reading your uh, your latest article in Academic Medicine, which was really interesting. It was about entitled, actually, it's entitled The Purpose, Design, and the Promise of Medical Education Research Labs, which was really interesting. And uh, I was really going to, I, I really like to talk about it and, and different aspects of it. So before starting and going through your article, could you please uh, tell us the idea behind this article? How did you come up with this idea? Sure. Um, you know, I I have experienced in the last several years um, the opportunity of starting our uh, lab. And, you know, it, the acronym is the PEARL, the Precision Education and Assessment Research Lab. So we refer to it as the PEARL. We started the PEARL um, several years ago uh, as, you know, frankly, a... Um, uh, a political way of um, getting resources for uh, medical education research. And I say political, um, not in a really negative way, but but really as a, a means of communication uh, to other researchers at Stanford. So Stanford University has a very traditional um, approach to labs, uh, if you will. And, and a lab is you know, sort of a, a loose term here where any research faculty member can have um, a lab. So there can be you know, the Gisandi lab, the Clinton lab, the Obama lab, um, you know, et cetera. And um, in your lab, you um, can do a number of things. You can, you know, conduct your research alone. You can apply for grants. You can use that grant funding to hire uh, research lab staff and um, lab materials. Uh, you can have trainees in your labs, such as postdocs and students. And, you know, this is traditionally a, a, a structure that's used by basic science faculty members, um, and then some clinical um, research faculty who are exceptionally well-funded. Um, so a lab becomes this entity, and um, it's you know, a living entity that, that supports and trains and sometimes employs numerous people. Labs can be 
you know, as large as 15, 20 individuals who are working towards a common narrative of research. Um, so it becomes an entity that's understood. Um, and, you know, if you take the, the average medical student, they all work in a lab or train in a lab. And if you ask them, well, I, you know, I, I train in the Biden lab. And, um, you know, it, the other students know that that um, results in certain training opportunities and research opportunities. They may not know what the Biden lab studies, but they'll, you know, they can figure that out. Um, when I would tell students about uh, my work, I'd explain that I was a medical education researcher. Here are the different topics that I'm um, researching. And they, they would sort of shrug their shoulders and, you know, feign interest and, and move on. But if I said my lab studies, dot, 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 well, that was a very different, um, uh, you know, uh, a political or communication uh, style for them uh, to understand um, a moniker, if you will, to understand what uh, I did. And, and I learned that if I just simply said, you know, uh, my lab studies X, I would get student interest in ways that I, I wouldn't have otherwise. So we decided to form the Pearl. And, um, you know, I had two options at the time. I could have created the Jazandi lab and uh, worked independently. And I decided um, very strategically not to do that, but to create the Pearl with two uh, of my colleagues, um, Stephanie Seabach-Sire, who's a PhD trained um, expert in assessment and program evaluation. And then Holly Credawire, who um, has a master's in health professions education, is actually getting her PhD uh, from Maastricht right now um, in medical education. Also a, a very talented uh, researcher, and very well-funded uh, medical education researcher. And the three of us decided to open the Pearl together um, with the idea that we each brought different skill sets and resources and um, experiences that would uh, help trainees um, in, in ways that were complementary. So we started the Pearl, and um, you know it was it, it's been very successful. We've hit um, grant funding. We've we've been awarded grant funding that I, I would argue came to us because we had a lab structure and this common understanding of what a lab is extended to funding agencies who looked around at, at many of the. Um, the groups working in medical education research in the United States and, and um, applicants for various awards and said, well, this group's got their act together. They've got a lab. And, uh, you know, the, this lab must do different things than just a, a normal group of co-investigators putting it, putting in an application. So there was strategy that came from having this, um, you know, this, this descriptor, this lab descriptor. So we decided to write a paper about it um, and the recognition that, very few colleagues in medical education research create labs. You know, this is a, a normal um, a normal function of basic science researchers and, and how they um, train folks and how they, they gather funding for their work, uh, but not in medical education. And why is that? Um, you know, what, what um, advantages might there be for a medical education researcher to, you know, to construct a lab? Um, and, and that's really where the paper yeah. um, was born from. Well, uh, you've mentioned, uh, as you have mentioned in your paper, uh, the signaling effect, which you've mentioned that, yeah, so for example, my uh, I'm studying, for example, the X condition or my lab studies, which is, I think it, it, it really depends on, it, what, it is one of the challenges of medical education researchers in their institutions, and it might, um, it might be related to the culture of the, those institutions or something like that. So referring to these kinds of challenges of medical education researchers, 
can you can you have or say some of these other challenges like the resources that you've mentioned that the that these researchers may face yeah you know in the paper we talk about the typified challenges of medical education research and i think there are a number of them i think one there's just not uh, very much um grant funding for our work. Um, you know, in the United States, there's very few uh, medical education research grants to compete for, um, and certainly um, even fewer within my specialty, you know, in emergency medicine. Um, so, that, you know, that's that's certainly a challenge. I think there's um, a pecking order to the respect of various types of researchers. And I think um, you, know, you can, uh, you know, you can recognize that big research universities, such as the one that I, I work for, value um, basic scientists and um, clinical researchers who bring in you know large amounts of funding very differently than they do medical education researchers who um, often lack any funding whatsoever. And there's you know there's a degree of respect that um, you know is uh, unequal there. And I think um, having a lab structure can uh, help to to modify that, um, mitigate that rather to uh, to make it a little bit more equal. Um, you know, there's uh, a lack of colleagues and mentors in medical education research. There's not that many of us, frankly, um, who devote our, our careers to this. I think there's a lot of um, clinician educators out there who um, who do good work uh, and, you know, will have, um, you know, uh, successful projects here and there, but they may not have a narrative of uh, research, a, a specific topic that they study um, continuously over many years, um, a body of literature that's around a specific topic. And because of that, um, they don't, uh, you know, garner the experience of being able to, to create a narrative and then mentor someone else to, to be able to focus their work and create a narrative. And, um, and that lack of mentorship, uh, you know, can play out in uh, a lack of uh, ability to apply for grants, a lack of ability to train the next generation of medical education researchers, um, which I think are, are desperately needed in our field. Um, so, you know, I, I think finally that the concept of those of us who have trained, like yourself, who've gotten a master's degree or, or a PhD in medical education often focuses on the delivery of um, knowledge, you know, so teaching uh, as opposed to research. And, you know, while we have our own um, research methods that are no less rigorous than our basic science or clinical colleagues, um, we certainly don't focus necessarily our work on, on uh, research. I think there's a, a very small um, cadre of uh, our colleagues who, who have research careers, and many of us who seek these degrees do so because we want to be education program administrators uh, or just better teachers. So, you know, that makes the pool of um, available mentors even smaller. So, you know, these challenges can be overcome in a lab structure where um, there's a principal investigator like myself, I'm the PI for the Pearl, um, who can be designated as a mentor for a number of junior faculty or staff members we hire or trainees that are in our lab. And there's a clear um, reporting structure there. There's a clear set of expectations of me as a mentor and they have, as mentees, there's, um, again, this st strategy around getting grants, um, and so, so many of these typified challenges can be overcome by, by the structure.
So um, thank you for your great response. So referring to these kinds of challenges and referring to your experience that you've uh, conducted and you've constructed the pearl, uh, did you and have you seen any changes while, for, uh, for example, you constructed these uh, these labs uh, comparing to the time that you had uh, you were working as a single, for example, researcher? Yes, uh, for sure. And, you know, I think in a couple of ways, again, I'll, I'll, uh, I keep coming back to funding just because I, I, I find it to be a very um, important uh, measure of how successful your, your research group or, or entity, or in this case, you know, a lab structure, but how, you know, how successful is the investigator um, and, uh, you know, research dollars translated to a lot of um, opportunities for others that you collaborate with, but they also really just you know, they, they signal alone that you're a successful investigator that a funding agency believes in. So I, you know, I do think that we've been more successful, um, you know, having, having a lab structure. I think there's been strategy that has um, played itself out with our um, three, um, you know, sort of three PI model where the three of us um, can mentor, uh, you know, a, a larger number of mentees um, because we have capacity. And then we also just complement each other's work well. Um, so I think there's been a, a, a lot of synergy that's come from the, the structure that we've used. I think, frankly, the Pearl is more successful than um, the Jazani lab would have been if I was just a single PI. Um, but, you know, that's an, an uncommon structure uh, for labs. I think most labs, the, you know, the unit is the single PI um, unit. And that's, you know, and, and that's really wonderful for, for the labs that can, um, can uh, garner the resources they need to be able to, to have that structure, but it's it's uncommon again in medical education um, research. Uh, I you know I do think that my colleagues who are non medical education researchers get me, if you will, they understand um, uh, what I'm doing um, uh, because I have a lab. I can I can walk around campus and, and describe my lab and what my lab does, and and you know there's a, a common understanding of well you know a lab must have you know, a narrative research, a lab must have trainees, a lab must probably hire research staff, a lab, um, you know, seeks funding. So there's, you know, there's functions of the lab that um, are just understood without me needing to say that I've hired research staff and that I have trainees and I've sought grant funding, I, right? I don't need to explain that to my colleagues. Um, and then, you know, finally, just because of the lack of medical education research labs that are out there, right, the point of the paper, um, there's something special or unique about the pearl and, and people I think are inquisitive. Well, why, why would you create the pearl and what does the pearl really do? And we're, you know, there's, there's no physical space. I don't need a bench, right? I don't need a lab bench to run my lab. So I, you know, my lab is this amorphous um, uh, grouping of individuals, uh, partnership of individuals to do certain work, but I, it can be done in any conference room on campus and mostly runs by Zoom now, right? So, so there is no physical lab to go visit. You can't go visit the Pearl. Um, you have to visit our Zoom Zoom conferences once a week, uh, you know, in our, our strategy session. So, uh, so that, you know, that makes it kind of unique and um, a little bit opaque and a little bit, a little bit vague and that, you know, that's exciting too, right? So what is the, what are they doing behind the curtain there? Um, you know, I think that can be, uh, that can be a fun element yeah. of, of 
running the parole. So your last point uh, was one of my questions, uh, which was, uh, so how does the, for, for um, I, I think that one outside the medical education might wonder, so what does a medical education research lab, or lab uh, look, looks like, for example, do you know, we always, for example, wear white coats or something like that? <laughs> but, but yeah, for example, it might be in a conference room on a Zoom call or something like that. So, yeah, you know, it, uh, it, it can be a space. I mean, I, there are very successful um, collaboratives or, or other entities out there that are, are centers um, where there is a physical space that there's, um, you know, there's been grant funding used to, to build a simulation lab, for instance, um, uh, or, um, you know, a, a very um, uh, specifically designed lecture hall that has certain advantages to the way that it, the art, you know, the architect created it, little bells and whistles to, to what can be offered to the, um, to the uh, participants in, the, in that space, um, you know, or, or frankly, just uh, funding that comes through philanthropy um, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, the goodwill that um, your donors have towards the work that you're doing. And there, there could be physical spaces built because of that, right? Um, and that they do exist in medical education, I think, particularly around medical simulation, where you have to have, uh, you know, the simulation, um, equipment and, and uh, you know, the robots, as I call them, need to, to, to go somewhere. But in our case, um, it's, it's really the construct that we want to do um, good work. We want to do good research. We want to train, um, you know, this next generation of, uh, of researchers. We've really focused on certain groups um, of trainees, you know, uh, fellows and um, and uh, students rather than um, residents or postdocs. We've, we've made some decisions around that. Um, our work really coalesces around a couple of themes. Um, and, you know, these, this is, all, you know, all that's really required to, to have, um, you know, a, a construct as a lab that in my mind, that it doesn't have to have a, a physical home. Um, it, it just needs to have work that's being done in a, um, you know, particular and strategic manner. So maybe it's it's the mission and vision that's important, and maybe you don't have any specific uh, physical space, just as you said. So you've mentioned, uh, just for uh, clarifying for our audience, you've mentioned single PI and something like that, that I want to uh, actually talk about that in, in the upcoming minutes. But before that, uh, the other interesting aspect of the article was the fact that how you gather together uh, and you've uh, actually come up with the idea of uh, writing a model for something like that. So uh, you've mentioned your experience as Pearl, and uh, could you please tell us uh, other experiences of your colleagues in other institutions? Do they have any similar experiences and similar problems like you? Yeah, I um, I, I certainly could come up with a few off the top of my head, but we had um, a number of co-authors of this paper who each run um, a variety of different research entities is what we call them um, and their uh, you know individual um, organizations or arrangements are reflected as case examples in the paper um, itself so we you know we have constructs that go from a single PI lab um, and I'll use the Burkhart lab at the University of Michigan as an example of that it's um, a medical education research lab that focuses on policy uh, work as well. On John Burkhardt is the PI there, and um, you know again that would be um, you know much like if I had the Gisandi lab at Stanford. It's a single single PI. There are um, a couple of examples of of multi PI you know groups, and uh, ours being one of them, the Pearl. And you know that tends to be 
a very small number of PIs, we have three uh, in the Pearl, um, who are all in a single department um, or sometimes a single in institution. You can cross departments and institution and, and still you know, have what I think the, la the lab definition would, would look like, um, but, but very small entities um, that uh, you know, have very few collaborators in, in, um, in leadership roles. And I think they tend to be in single departments. Um, and then we look at much larger structures that you may be asking me about in, in the next couple of questions. But um, there, are, you know, there are examples of those uh, that we can talk about as well. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you've mentioned the first two, but we have some something like research centers, research collaborative, and research network. So, could you please tell us a little bit about uh, those kinds of terms. Sure. We, you know, we gave some of these. Um, Entities, we 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 coined some of these terms just to try to make them descriptive. But um, so there's you know there's research centers um, or institutes uh, could be another word for them, um, which are often physical spaces. They often have office space, um, if not um, simulation centers or, or other um, uh, you know uh, medical education um, spaces uh, assigned to them. They generally are run um, by um, uh, medical education researchers across numerous departments, usually at the same university, um, a center or an institute is often a single university, but but multi-specialty, multi-department um, leadership and, and perhaps leadership of the center that, that uh, rotates over time, a center director that um, holds the title for a while and you know eventually steps down and a new center director is sought and uh, put into that place. And they may be from very different um, backgrounds or departments. Um, but these are, you know, centers that that sort of live, um, you know, as a, as a single unit. So uh, the Gordon Center at the University of Miami is a great example of this, and they um, are an incredibly well-funded center that uh, focuses on medical simulation, and, among some other narratives uh, of their work. So if you were to look up some of these examples online, the Gordon Center is a great one. Then the, uh, uh, we we go from centers to um, what was the second one that you, you mentioned? Collaboratives. Collaboratives, yeah. Collaboratives. So these tend to cross, um, you know, again, organizations of, of um, investigators. These are larger numbers, um, and these will cross um, institutions. And um, they may or may not have their own physical space. Oftentimes, they don't, and they function more um, through communications devices. You know, like like Slack, for instance, or Zoom meetings uh, for their uh, their leadership to come together. Um, there's usually very few trainees, you know, oftentimes they might have one or two interested um, individuals or a resident or a fellow, but these are generally faculty level um, arrangements and um, they uh, can seek funding, but often come with their own resources from their own um, individual institutions and they sort of coalesce um, around, you know, a certain body of work. And this um, has advantages. <clears throat> Uh, it uh, allows individual institutions to not have to fund uh, their work um, very much, which I would argue abdicates their uh, responsibility. And that, you know, that can be thought of as, as a negative in some ways. Um, but it allows them to function and be nimble um, and get their work done very quickly uh, because they're all coming with the resources that each other needs. So an example um, of that is uh, the Amera Group, which is... Uh, an, an education research group of emergency physicians that all train together uh, at Northwestern University in Chicago. And uh, they're all alumni of this program that are uh, now running their own um, 
you know, uh, uh, residency programs and, and medical student programs across the United States, but they still work in a, as a collaborative. Um, and they, you know, they meet at professional society meetings to have physical in-person meetings, uh, and they work um, asynchronously, um, you know, through Slack and other other um, communication um, resources. And then um, the last one, uh, so we go from uh, center to collaborative to, um, what's our last one? Research networks. Networks, yes. So a research network um, reflects uh, generally a um, you know a, a group, small group of PIs that uh, run a research project that has many sites, and um, each site will probably have a site director whose job it is to execute um, you know the research protocol at their individual site, and this is you know to gather lots of. Um, data points to, you know, across a diverse number of institutions, um, you know, maybe across the country or different um, uh, formats of training, whether they be short or long numbers of years, et cetera. Uh, but to get as many data points or patients or students or trainees enrolled in whatever it is that they're doing. But those site directors have very limited, if any, control over the research protocol itself. They've just agreed to execute that protocol at their site. Um, and it's really just those, those couple of folks who, designed um, and recruited the sites that have the ability to, um, to modify the protocol or, or um, really are responsible for, for analyzing data. Um, so you can even look at the, the article I wrote. I, I would sort of argue I've functioned in that role and many of my colleagues who contributed um, content to the paper really you know, were, were there to um, serve as data points themselves and, um, and give information from their individual sites. But um, you know, perhaps the, the architecture of the paper, um, you know, wasn't something we discussed necessarily ahead of time. Um, so, you know, these networks are loose affiliations of individuals. Um, they're not nearly uh, as bound to one another in, in their um, mission or goals or vision as perhaps a center would be, where uh, you have you have um, faculty from a number of departments all working on a, on a similar um, task. Great, thank you for a comprehensive answer. So, um, discussing these kinds of five types of uh, research labs, do you think that any of these kinds of research labs are superior to one another, or they totally depend on uh, the context of those kinds of institutions? Sure, I think that um, they've each grown out of um, necessity or opportunity. Plenty of um, departments out there that will not fund a lab um, independently, um, and certainly not a medical education research lab. They, you know, that labs are grown from funding that's usually extramural, um, that you know, com compete through grants. And once they are successful and get the grant, then they build their lab around that. Um, so for many of these um, collaboratives and research networks, they're, you know, they, they don't have those um, resources. So they have to come together in, in other interesting um, uh, ways and you know their entities grow from that. I think there's strategy to that. Um, I do think there's a, a great value of having single PI or multi-PI labs. I, th I think for all the reasons I talked about with the Pearl, um, there are advantages to um, the signaling effect of a lab and um, and I think success um, is uh, begotten through, through some of that work. Mm. Um, but I don't know that anyone is superior. I think that they're, they're a reflection of the realities um, of uh, the environments or departments that sponsor these investigators. And um, I think we could we could argue that, you know, medical education researchers need the same type of support across many different institutions and departments. And, 
you know, chairs should be providing that. That's just not reality. Um, so if you want to do the work that you want to do and you don't have the local resources or you exhausted them or you never asked for them to begin with, you may work around that lack of resources by um, combining efforts with others and as, as a collaborative, for instance, and, um, and and trying to bring together what little pools of, of resources that you do have and you're stronger together. Um, so I don't know that one is, is superior to the other. I, you know, I certainly wrote the article originally um, with the idea that the single PI lab unit is, um, you know, is so uncommon that many more education researchers should try it out. And I hope that that's what the paper will do is stimulate um, similar single PI labs to, to grow in the, in the um, United States and elsewhere. I, I think it, um, I think there are, there are a lot of um, strategic benefits that I've already outlined for, for that. Um, but, you know, perhaps some of these other entities we reviewed um, will ring more um, uh, or resonate, you know, more uh, uh, firmly with, uh, you know, the, the investigators out there who just don't have the environments that would support a single PI lab. So mm-hmm. there's probably, not, you know, there's not really a, a, a pecking order amongst these, but I, I do personally want to see more single PI labs. I think it signals to our, our basic science and clinical research colleagues the work that we're doing is important and um, rigorous and um, affectionate. Yeah. But as you've mentioned, it is un- uncommon in medical education to just these kinds of single PI labs. But I believe that this can either be a starting point for for uh, constructing this kind of virus lab. So uh, discussing about these kinds of topics, um, there are key elements, as you've mentioned, if in and actually while someone wants to construct these kinds of labs, some of these key le- key elements you've mentioned in your speech, like signaling effect, but there are others like, for example, lab identity, what is the mission and vision of these kinds of labs or infrastructure, the financial problems, and also the training mission of these kinds of labs. Uh, have you, uh, could you please tell us a little bit about more uh, specifically about these kinds of training missions that we can have in research labs? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, a lab is defined by its um, research output primarily. So, you know, the lab has to exist to, to do some research and, um, you know, and what is the output of, of that, uh, you know, set of efforts. So that, that is, you know, by definition, I think at minimum what a lab should, should be doing. Um, but I do think that there's a, uh, an imperative of uh, training that, um, you know, is placed upon labs as well. I, you know, you can be... Uh, I'd hate to use the word selfish, but you can be selfish or singularly focused on your research at the expense of uh, helping others, or you can use the lab structure that you've created to do um, to do training of the next generation of, of researchers out there. And there's, um, I think, uh, an imperative upon medical education research labs to do so. If, if we're not stopping and training the next generation, there's not going to be a set of researchers who can open PI labs, um, single PI labs, in the way that we're um, talking about. So, for instance, at the Pearl, um, we've you know we've really coalesced around um, primarily medical education fellows, and I've used that term um, before, but just to define it, uh, you know, in our um, training structure, you have um, you, you know you have university years prior to medical school, and then medical school uh, residency training, and then post residency uh, is usually referred to as fellows, and that would be. Um, you know, where our subspecialty uh, colleagues like cardiology and GI and, and nephrology, you know, those are all are trained through fellowships. So for us, uh, we have 
post-residency fellows who focus not on, you know, an organ system, but on, on medical education research. So at Stanford, um, in our department, our fellows are there for two years and they um, each get a master's degree in health professions education while they're there. And um, so they're getting these degrees in the background and then we're meeting with them um, once a week or more um, to review their work, to give them context to the um, information they're learning in their degree programs, but to contextualize it to the local environment, to give them opportunities to, to practice what they're learning. Um, and, you know, within the um, construct of the lab to, to work with our PIs um, on research projects and to get, um, you know, real-time feedback. We have a, a weekly um, medical education research works in progress uh, meeting where um, the trainees can come in and they can pitch their projects and get um, uh, information. Uh, um, uh, what's the word I want? They, they can get um, feedback rather on... Um, their study design or their data analysis or how to present their work in a manuscript. And, you know, these are all, I think, important um, uh, training actions. And this is part of the mission of the Pearl is to make sure that these folks, um, you know, get the experiences they need so that they can leave us. And we know that they're going to be able to conduct their own research studies, that they're going to be able to go after their own grants. So our, our fellows um, must apply for a grant during uh, their program. Um, we don't care whether they get the grant, but they have to go through the process of filling out a, a grant application, which is not simple. And if no one stops and teaches them how to do that, they'll never learn how to do it. So, you know, we feel like they, they have to do that while they're with us, that it's our responsibility to train them to do that. Um, so again, this sort of concept of a mission. So for us, a lab, you know, it, it, it primarily should be doing research and have research outputs, but um, I do think the trainees become the next and uh, uh, in a close second in terms of um, uh, the work that defines them as a lab. Yeah. So as you've mentioned, um, the training mission is not the, is not the primary maybe goal of these labs, but it's, it's necessary to be a, a part of the mission of these kinds of labs. And Absolutely. You know, I, just not to cut you, but it scales your work as well, right? You can have a single PI working very hard to keep uh, the lights on, if you will, right, to get to get funding to be able to support a research staff and employ them and um, to do their work. But, you know, if you have the ability to, to, to take trainees, well, each person can exponentially open up um, opportunities for you and, and you know, allow um, some of your work to be offloaded so that you can focus on funding or, or whatever else you, know, you need to do as the leader of the lab. Um, so there is, you know, there is scaling opportunities that come from uh, from having trainees. Exactly. So um, just uh, moving toward the paper, and uh, one of the interesting parts of the paper is, is the last part, which you have uh, mentioned the uh, startup guide for the researchers who want to do this in their institution. And I'm gonna, I want to read that. So for example, um, after um, after setting the after identifying the problems in their institution, it's identifying the leader or leaders that they want to actually have, identifying the vision and mission, choosing organizational and structure, identifying researchers and infrastructure needs, and identifying funding mechanisms. So uh, just uh, to quickly review, um, what do you suggest to these kinds of researchers uh, to use this guide and how they can choose which one is the best strategy to get in their institutions? Yeah, I think first you need to be introspective and, and 
reflective on what your um, skill set is. And um, you know, if you think that you can support all of the various um, missions, like execute all the tasks that we've been talking about, then certainly have a single PI lab. I think that's you know that gives you the most flexibility. Um, and it allows you to pivot uh, as frequently as you'd like with the work that you're going to do. But, you know, I do think that you need to be well, um, well trained and, and have, uh, you know, a good bit of experience behind you to be able to, to uh, execute that lab. So when I look at my clinical research or basic science um, colleagues, you know, I, I think more junior basic scientists who come out of PhD training programs who them, they themselves have been postdocs, they can open labs at, you know, an earlier part of their career. Um, clinical research faculty, sometimes they, they haven't done traditional postdocs. They need a few years as junior faculty to, um, to gain experiences in training and prove themselves. And perhaps opening a lab is, is sort of a mid-career experience for them. And I would argue that for medical education, that's probably the case. So, it, you know, if you really want to, um, you know, to get great work done as a junior faculty member, you may be more successful in a collaborative um, uh, or, you know, or working in a center where you're going to be mentored um, by others. Uh, but if, you know, if you're able to reflect on your own skill set and you think, well, I'm ready, I'm at the mid-career, you know, point, uh, you know, I, I've got the skills I need, I have the experiences, then open, by all means, open a single PI lab. I, I think the next question is um, resources. So if you have a department that will um, give you a startup package um, and, you know, you know here's um, administrative uh, staff to help you um, launch, here's um, some money, uh, that you may need to hire, um, you know, dedicated staff for your lab, or um, you know, get you materials that you might need. If you know, for instance, if you're a simulation research center, you obviously need to buy the simulators. And things. Um, that's really wonderful. And um, you know, I again, I would say for those folks, it's a single PI lab or multi PI lab. You have the resources that you need to be successful. Um, and I'm very fortunate that in my department, um, you know, I was afforded some degree of uh, a, you know a startup package. Um, uh, in the, um, uh, you know, in the role that I'm in, um, you know, and, and I, it, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's not millions and millions of dollars. It's not the equivalent of a, of a large, um, extra meal grant, but it, you know, it's, it's certainly a generous amount of money to allow me to, to get my work off the ground. So again, I think single PI lab is the right way to go or, you know, multi PI lab. Uh, if, if you have those, um, resources, if you don't, then you have to say, well, what do I have? That's, you know, that's um, something that, um, uh, you know, I can utilize or leverage that um, if I if I find my colleagues out there who have other resources that I might need, like, can we come together uh, in, in a meaningful way that, you know, certainly that lends itself to a, a collaborative, for instance. Sometimes universities will um, uh, afford um, investigators some um amount of funding, but but maybe not to a single investor. That's again another example of why you might want to choose a center uh, as a model. And you know, centers are very um, strategic in and of themselves. A center that has you know multiple investigators from multiple departments who are really putting out a lot of great work, um, uh, both research but but often training. Centers often train um, students in, in large larger numbers because there's a larger number of investigators. Um, those can be very appealing to uh, a potential donor, you know, I think um, philanthropic um, work often is uh, uh, easier easier understood as the center model than perhaps the single PI lab. And I think if you're, um, you know, seeking uh, funding in that that manner, a center may be um, a strategic 
option for you. But, you know, I think it comes down to what are your skills? What are the local resources that are available to you? What is the mission that you're going to, um, to have for your, for your entity? Um, who could you, your collaborators be? Are they all aligned in their, um, uh, in their missions. And then from that, I think you make your decisions using the startup guide that we uh, that we created. I think it, it sort of falls into place. Well, great. Thank you so much, Professor. I honestly am run out of my questions. So uh, <laughs> it was really a great, great discussion with you. And it was really great uh, article, actually, when I was reading it, I, I found that really interesting. And it was really great. So thank you again for joining us today. So and do you have any last words for our audience to add? Yeah, thank you for reading my article. I wrote it and had no idea if anyone would read it. So that was, uh, it's been a real treat just to know that somebody enjoyed it and got something out of it. So, you know, you write these things sometimes and you never know if who's going to, who in the universe is going to read it. it. So was thank you. It's really an honor to get to chat about the, the concept and the topic and uh, the paper itself. So thank you. Thank you so much. So thank you, Professor Mirza, for, for being with us. So do you have any last words to add? No, go out and create your labs and do good work, everyone. I think uh, there's so many opportunities out there. We just have to have the activation energy to get, get to do that.